welcome back to Just Dance. I'm here at a JFK airport, about to head to Las Vegas to play the main event. I'm so happy to be able to get this episode out to you guys before then. It might be a couple weeks before next episode, since I'll be, well, hopefully tied up with that. Not a guarantee, but you know, I'm feeling good. Anyways, uh, we have a fantastic guest today, uh, James B., who has been working with me at Just Hands for a while now. He's actually come on board as a coach. We now have three coaches, myself, uh, John Metz, and James. Um, James is just getting started out in the coaching world, so if you are if you also want to get started out in the coaching world and you want to give a new coach a shot, uh, a guy who really, really understands poker and has a lot to share, I recommend hitting up James for his services. Um, you might hear his voice a little bit more often on the podcast going forward. Uh, so excited to have him on the team. And again, thank you guys so much for tuning in and enjoy this week's episode. Hello. Welcome to Just Hands. I'm joined here by star Just Hands student and now up and coming Just Hands coach, James Bilderbeck. James, how you doing? Doing great. You're fresh off your academy attendance. Um, what do you think of the academy experience? Yeah, um, it helped cement some strategic things in my mind that um, I think it, it just helped to clarify my thinking about about how to analyze like poker hands in general. Like, I, I really like how they conceptualize bet sizing. Um, I think that was helpful and. Um, yeah, in general, it was also a lot of fun. Like it's, uh, it was great to have like footage of yourself actually playing hands, and um, and it has all the hands right there, so you can look at them afterwards. And to hear Matt and Christian talk about what they think you should have done or what they think each player's strategy should be in each situation, um, I thought was really valuable. Yeah, it's an interesting setting because. You know, mistakes are being made, but it's a very different set of mistakes compared to the opponents you're used to playing against. It's more along the lines of like implementing high-end strategy mistakes than the type of things that we're used to taking advantage of in softer games. So I think there's a lot of value to throwing yourself in that setting, trying to mix it up, trying to sort of assert yourself as a, a a winner and someone who you know, can dictate the terms of action in a way that's profitable in that setting. And I thought you did an excellent job putting yourself out there. And so I'm glad you were there. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it really tests like overall theoretical understanding of the game in that, in that scenario. Like, or yeah, ordinarily we're used to certain exploits like against um, like our common opponents at the casino or our local games or whatever. But yeah, you, it's uh, you really have to adjust. And um, I think having a really sound theoretical understanding of the game, it was helpful to play at the Salt for Y Academy. So as I mentioned, James is coming on board as, a new coach for just hands joining uh, myself and John. And if you guys are looking to have a really smart player who is sort of just 
diving into the experience of coaching and you know get i think a really great price because <laughs> james is new with this uh definitely reach out you can head to justhands.com slash coaching sorry justhandspoker.com slash coaching uh, and find out more information there so james uh thank you for joining us in that capacity i highly recommend your services and you'll be hearing more from james on the podcast we're gonna get him on kind of regularly probably doing a lot of listener hands and that kind of thing so yeah James, appreciate your involvement. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm very excited to get started and um, offer as much as I can to the students. Speaking of students, well, one of our listeners, not, not that our listeners are students, but someone who wanted to get our take on some on a handy plate wrote in from the Oaks card room in what's apparently Emeryville, California. I, thought, I always thought it was Oakland, but I guess it's not. Um, this took place midday on the 6th of June, which I guess would have been a Thursday. Is that one of those three blind games? No. Um, they have some three blind games, but this apparently was not one of them. Okay. So we have a fun description of some of the players in the hand. This hand p- takes place during a $500 every 30 minutes high hand promotion. There are three players at the flop in this hand, um, but one of them quickly gets out of the way. The main villain is a 50 or so year old Asian man who's straddling every hand, playing the majority of his hands and nearly always raising when it limps to him. He's running insanely well, and despite playing weak holdings, has shown down two pair or better, often straights and trips multiple times in the last three hours, as well as having been dealt pocket aces five times and flopping a royal flush to win the $500 high hand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Hero says he folded pocket tens against his villain about an hour prior on a board of seven, eight, two, three, four, no flush possible when he shipped the river for $350 effective into a pot of $200. He showed his hand for a river two pair. Um, so something four. Before that, Hero lost a hand to this villain where we had both flopped trip tens. Hero had ace ten, but he had ten eight, and he rivered a full house. Um, so this player's running very, very well. And it sounds like Hero's playing well. The before, other player- before we jump in, can I just say, like, <laughs> I think you you pointed this out at the academy, but I thought it it's just a really important thing to remember that when some some player is like getting really lucky or getting really lucky against you, it's I think it's it's a good time to like take a take a step back, like, and just just make sure you're being like really dispassionate in your analysis and not getting emotional, not getting upset. Um, and I know the Academy, we talk about like labeling players without the emotional baggage attached to it. Like, um, you don't want to call someone like, like a lag tart or something, not only because it's not politically correct, probably, but <laughs> it's just, it's, it just charges, charges your feelings. Like it, it just, it's not a, it's not how we should be thinking about the game. Like I think thinking about players as volatile or bluff heavy or value heavy instead of lags or nits is, yeah, it's really the way to go. So just wanted to say that before we jump any further. Yeah, and no, I think that's a, it's a great point. And so I, I would definitely commend this player uh, or the guy who wrote into us for giving, I think, a fairly 
Bolt's description and not saying that this guy is like insanely lucky or anything. Obviously, he has been getting lucky against Hero, and I'm sure Hero maybe has some latent resentment, but we didn't really hear it in the description, so kudos. Yeah. So the other player in the hand is a decent-ish older woman player, around 60. She is positionally aware, isn't afraid to squeeze preflop with speculative holdings with large sizings, but will not bet for thin value when obvious draws come in on the river. I've bluffed her off several pots knowing this tendency of hers. However, when she bets, she tends to have the goods. All right, a very helpful description. Hero is a hipster-looking young white guy with painted nails, clear circular glasses, skinny jeans, and a big old beard. Hero dresses fairly feminine and has a reputation for calling out shitty behavior at the card room. So he's bitchy. I have a tight image, but the rags in this game have seen me get caught on big bluffs. Sorry for calling you bitchy, but I think that's what you're trying to say. Hero won a 120-person, $200 buy-in tournament here, so of course they plastered my face on the wall as the tournament champion. Congratulations. People have gone as far as the table change off my table because they think I'm a good player as a result of that tournament win. The joke's on them. Uh, and that was Hero's commentary and not mine. Hero basically only plays 1-2 cash games and fired the tournament just for fun and got lucky. The main villain in this hand is someone who Hero has only a couple of hours history with. Um, Oaks is a room with a lot of short stackers looking to gamble, but also a ton of decentish regs looking to build up a bankroll and move up to 2-5. And Hero is one of those regs. Hero was previously stuck for $300, but now is back to a little above even. The max buy-in in this game is $200, but there are several deeper stacks at the table. One thing I'll quickly say about the plan of building your bankroll, I think paying attention to rake structure is important. Like if, if the 1-2 game is just being really, really heavily raked, it might be hard to build a bankroll. And so presumably, it sounds like you're having good success. And so if you are able to build a bankroll in that environment, power to you. But my suggestion is maybe try and move up a little bit more aggressively or look to just really save money and try and build a bankroll outside of poker so that you can get to 2-5, since it sounds like you have the skills um, to succeed there. Um, shameless plug, there's a really useful video um, that Christian did called Going Off the Deep End, um, where he talks about some of the strategies he's employed in um, taking shots in higher games and... If you're thinking about taking a shot, I would really recommend um, checking that out. Just to round out that shameless plug, uh, you can find that video at tv.solveforyacademy.com and make sure you get um, a discount or a free trial using JustHands2019, that code. All right, out of the hand. Hero has $550. The main villain has $900, which is, you know, when you, when you run hot at a $200 max game, you don't make that much money. So only having $900 given the string of hands that has been described is not so great, especially also having one $500 from the high hand, which presumably went onto the table. The other villain is an older woman uh, who, we, who we mentioned who has $90. Okay, so we have a nine-handed table. Main villain straddles the button for $4. The blinds fold. Under the gun limps, middle position limps. Here is in the cutoff with pocket threes. Any thoughts to uh, limping behind, folding, raising here? I I like limping behind. I Do we have anything on the villain's pre-flop tendencies? Is he, is he aggressive pre-flop or is he mostly trying to... 
see a lot of flops. He tends to raise when limped to is the description. Hmm. I, I still think it's, it's worth trying to see a flop cheaply with the pocket threes. And then we can evaluate if the villain chooses to raise, you know, um, We'll have a, we're in decent relative position. We have two players acting in front of us and we'll know where we are on the flop like most of the time. Yeah, I think uh, if, we, if we know what size the villain tends to raise to, then this will help us make this decision. I don't think there's much of a case for raising here just since it's so unlikely that we're going to win now and we'll have such poor clarity on most flops. So I like a limp, um, unless we think that the villain is just going to raise to 35 or 40 a lot, um, and that there's going to be like the people who have limped know this and are planning on continuing in some fashion, but that's unlikely. So, hero does limp, and main villain raises to $24. And so, if that was predictable, then I think we've already made a very good play having limped. Under the gun folds, the older woman in middle position calls, um, so. She, She's got um, 65 behind-ish in hero calls. So the pot is $79 going to the flop after rake. Hero is the effective stack other than the, uh, the woman with $526. I will say since hero said he's the effective stack, I think there's a chance that the older woman also had $900 and that this is like a typo. It's not going to be relevant. I've looked ahead at this hand history, but... Just that's something that we can keep in mind if if it comes up. Hero writes, I think my play here is pretty straightforward. With such a loose and weak gambling player straddling and calling the majority of hands, given that I'm 250 big blinds deep with him, I felt like a great opportunity to set mine. Or it felt like a great opportunity to set mine. I considered opening this hand. However, given how often villain raising his straddle, I felt just fine limping behind and calling his raise. I think the one thing I would add to that is that the reason I don't think you should raise isn't because villain's going to raise a straddle very often. I don't think you actually benefit very much from being raised. I think it's just more so your hand. You just don't get enough folds now or on future streets to try and, I guess, leverage fold equity with your hand. Um, and it also has really poor barrel ability. Yeah, it's you're not going to be able to get enough folds pre-flop or on the flop or on the turn, or the river, very often with this hand, you just don't block the types of hands that fold on a lot of boards. So I think just trying to flop hot and cold. Like the reason to open this hand in a lot of settings um, is just the opportunity of like winning the blinds. You know, It's like if it folds to us in the hijack, we can just open this because we're often getting called by people who are out of position when we get called, and we often just win the blinds. And so it's a, it's a much better parlay when there are two limps already and all the players who have chips in the pot right now are like not favorites to fold even to a size of like 20 or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would also say like, this isn't like a hugely profitable spot for us. I think if villain had straddled um, like from under the gun and we were on the button and he raised um, like, I think that's a spot where we'll be making a lot more money than calling this out of position. Yeah. No, I think it's a great point. Okay. On to the flop. The flop comes nine of spades, three of spades, deuce of hearts. 
Bingo. Hero writes, middle position checks. So what do you think of Hero's decision here between leading and checking? I think it, it depends a lot on the tendencies of the button. It sounds like the button isn't a very calculated player. I don't think I hate the decision of like getting getting some money in the pot now with like a small lead, but I don't I don't think you can go like bigger than half pot here. And it sounds like this player is aggressive enough where I I I think I would lean towards checking to the button. Yeah, I think I also lean towards checking. What I'll say about this spot is that if we don't think that imposition is going to bet very often, then I think we should be leaving some of our hands here. And I think including hands like threes in a leading range is a good way to kind of disguise our hand going forward. When we check raise, sets are going to be a lot more prevalent in our opponent's minds versus when we lead, or at least that's my experience. Um, so if you can kind of lead without without it being too out of character or without sacrificing too much in terms of allowing your opponent to bluff, then it's something I recommend. This opponent has been, he seems pretty aggressive, so I like the check. Hero does check. But if, if you thought, and this is something that comes up a lot, where like, one of the biggest mistakes I think the field makes very consistently is they always check to the preflop raiser, even in like very multi-way pots where the preflop raiser is late to act. And if that player is only going to have a seabed frequency of like, let's say, 15 to 40%, then just allowing the flop to check through at that rate with like a high portion of your, or with like a ton of your range can be a very big mistake. So if you had a hand like 8-9 and you didn't think your opponent was going to be c-betting very much, or really I think 8-9, even if you think your opponent's c-betting a good amount, is a hand that's worth considering as a lead. Um, it's kind of a tough check-raise. You can't check-raise it. I probably would check-raise it if I checked, but 8-9 is a much easier check-raise because you dominate 9s. 8-9 you don't, and there's no real backdoor unless you have like hearts. So all this being said... I, I like to check just to try and uh, try and induce bluffs. But I yeah, think that we should consider leads here. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's it's really important to start start leading some hands multi way, um, especially when the pre flop raiser is last to act or has a late like relative position in your multi way pot. The reason that I think a lot of players get the idea like from these training sites that we need to uh, protect our range by checking all our hands on the plot. But if you're in a multi-way pot, it's, it's just really not as necessary because the other players are going to be checking their hands to the pre-flop raiser and they're going to be defending for you and a lot of the time um, when we check the preflop raiser won't even realize that we're not checking some of our strong hands because we have a leading strategy just because the field doesn't really have a leading strategy so um, yeah I just wanted to throw that out there yeah I think the field in what they're giving up in terms of equity denial they're already making mistakes so they're already unbalanced towards value and so we can kind of 
leverage that against the preflop raiser, the fact that the other players in the hand not only have coverage and are protecting us, but have too much coverage and are protecting us more than they should. And we can be very aggressive with our leading strategy. So that's something to take advantage of. So main villain does oblige with a bet. Bets 55 into 79. Middle position folds. Any case for not putting in a race here? I I mean, I suppose if you think the villain has a lot of bluffs that they're going to continue to barrel off with, then, yeah, I would consider checking behind. And also, like, depending on how sticky the villain is. Like, if the villain is just way over bluffing turn, then we could delay our raise until later. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. If our opponent is going to barrel extremely frequently, then checking again is something that can be considered. I don't think many opponents do that. Um, and our opponent does have a lot of hands that could be betting now for value that don't put in a second bet. Like, you know, hands like fours, fives, six, sevens, eights, bad, like weak nines. Sure. Sex, or like, or like uh, over pairs without a spade and like we hit a spade turn and they end up slowing down a lot. Yeah, so I think we need a very high bluff frequency because a lot of like normal turn bluffs are flop calls to a raise. Like our opponent shouldn't be folding many, if any, spades to a raise. Our opponent shouldn't be folding hands like four or five, like five, six, four, six with backdoors, ace, four. Ace, five should not be folds here very often. Like, obviously, against the field, maybe they should be folds, but this player is sticky anyway. So we would think he's going to call too much rather than too little. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of incentive to raise here. Hero does go ahead and raise to 160, which I like since I think that this is it's a sizing we can use with a more kind of mergy strategy. Choosing some of our like weak one pairs, 9x draws. Like I think we can actually be raising here a lot with our continues on this kind of board texture. It's like not so dynamic, but we do have a lot of hands that need protection that want to continue. And so I think that we're going to have a reasonable, a reasonably high check raise frequency in our continues. Um, like perhaps more than 50% of our continues can be through a check raise, you know, in, a, in the balanced world. So I think this sizing makes sense. Yeah, sounds good to me. Awesome. Hero writes. This seems like a pretty clear check raise to me, or pretty clear raise to me. This is a villain who does not like to fold, and or this is self-professed by a villain. This, <laughs> yeah, this I, villain, okay, I really like raise now. Yeah. <laughs> this villain plays aggressively whenever possible. Hero wants the maximum from any random 9x or overpair the villain may have, as well as draws. When the villain calls, he says, ah, so you want revenge. And I think that's pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, most most comments are strong in my experience. Um, yeah, I mean, although I wouldn't be concerned, like, like we're only beat by nines, so anyway. No, 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 no I wouldn't be concerned. Um, I think any nine is probably feeling pretty good here. Yeah. All right, so turn is the deuce of clubs. So the board is now nine of spades, three of spades, deuce of hearts, Deuce of clubs. So let's talk about this card. Um, how does this card change things? 
Well, I'm not sure it would be too much of a consideration against this particular player, but it reduces the number of sets that we can have that we're check raising for value. So I think a lot of somewhat experienced players will be more likely to call down once this deuce of clubs comes on the turn if we continue betting. Yeah, it's one of these leveling spots um, where it's like, you know, on the one hand, we have fewer top-end hands in our range. Although, I do think we are raising some deuce X here. Maybe Hero doesn't agree, but I think that like Ace-Deuce, for example, is a pretty good hand to be check-raising and needs a lot of protection. You can sometimes get calls from like worst deuce X, sometimes get a hand like fours, fives to fold if this is not as strong of a player. We block sets, so I, we, I think we do have some deuce X, maybe king deuce. But yeah, so I guess the perception is that we have our, our range has gotten more draw-heavy. I think though, and so this is leading up to Hero is going to check. And so with that in mind, I think checking here is a mistake. Basically, I think our range has a lot more... We have a lot more weak hands. Or not weak hands. Our, our flop raise is, I think, more merged than Hero's thinking. So if, if we're thinking about this like, oh, we're raising sets and some draws on the flop, then it's like, yeah, this was a really bad card for us. But if the idea is like, we're raising with like a lot of 9x, a lot of one pair hands, a lot of draws, and our sets, then I think this card is not quite as bad. So I think what we need to think about is, okay, so I actually don't think the check, I think the check is fine. We just need to, we need to think critically about like how we proceed here. So talk to me about, James, your plan for proceeding on this card with range. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I would bet my, if I had pocket threes, I would continue betting here. I think there's kind of, there's like a few different reasons to bet. Like if we, if we zoom out, like one of them is, one of them is like equity denial and protection. And like on this card, um, I think our hero might recognize, okay, like I don't need to like protect from flush draws anymore. Like my hand is pretty safe at this point. So if that's your reason for checking, then I don't like it. I, I, I don't know what he wrote about it. But if the reason for checking is that he thinks like the villain's going to fold a lot um, on this deuce turn, then I like that. Like if we continue betting, then I like it. Or if, if the check raise check line, if he thinks villain's going to think that looks weak and start attacking it, then I like the check more. I mean, it definitely disguises our hand, but we still, what's the SPR right now? Is it like one and a half? It's like 0.9. 0.9. Yeah, I mean, we could definitely, okay, then I hate it less because we can definitely get it all in on the river. But, um, you know, this player sounds like he might call us with like some of his spade draws if we bet on this turn because he likes to gamble. Um, so 
I, I yeah, I I think I definitely like continuing here. Yeah. I think so this is a weird spot because of the way the field can sometimes make mistakes. So we have 0.9 SPR. So there shouldn't be a lot of betting that isn't all in. I mean, maybe there's a case for your opponent betting smaller, but I think mostly like when your opponent has over pairs and draws that need to get like folds and you check to that player, he should just be shoving, but I don't trust him to. And what happens is here at checks and villain bets 120, which I think is like, it's kind of predictable. And so it puts us in a weird spot where when villain bets smaller, we have a sort of awkward position where we can either just check shove for a sizing that looks extremely strong. We can check call and then potentially lead, or we can check call and check again. If we check call, we can obviously have a different strategy and different runouts. But like, do we lead on spades? Do we check on spades? These are some of the sort of out of questions we have to answer. Obviously, a nine is a weird card, but that's fine. So I think against an opponent who's unlikely to fold a nine, unlikely to fold stronger than a nine, and unlikely to fold like nut spades, combo draws, a two, that we should just go ahead and bet ourselves and just shove. It's hard for there to be a huge EV difference since most of the hands that villain would get in versus a shove could easily find a way to get in versus a check. But I think we risk getting 9x to, to fold when we check shove. And, and I know, and I'm definitely being results-oriented here, we, we do check shove over the 120 and get a fold from ace-9. But I think what we have to understand is like the reason we're checking is because our range got a lot weaker. And when our range gets weaker, we just have to like realize like is our range weak in a way where like it can no longer get stacks in? Or is our range is this just like not a great card for us? And I think it's more so the latter. Like when we have ace nine ourselves here, are we just gonna like check fold? Um and if not, like why why not just go ahead and bet ourselves to try and deny equity? So I, I want to read what Hero wrote about this spot um, just to sort of try and reorient him to like the way I'm thinking about this spot. So Hero writes, as crazy as it sounds, I feel like I ought to check my whole range here. This villain has repeatedly put maximum pressure on signs of weakness. My hand is more or less the nuts. Hero writes, I'm not really playing around or caring about pocket twos or pocket nines. If he's got it, he's got it. I'm happy getting all my money in here since those hands are such a small portion of the villain's range. So Hero writes, I mostly expect 9x and flush draws. As I see it, my range at this point is basically only full houses, quads, and ace-x of spades. Some amount of pseudo wheel aces, primarily ace-4 and ace-5 of spades. So basically what Hero is writing is that he is extremely strong and polarized in his flop race. And that's just a very different strategy than what I'm employing here on the flop. You know, we're up against an opponent who's has an extremely wide range and is seen betting extremely wide, presumably. Presumably, like part of the reason we chose to check threes on the flop is because our opponent is seen betting so wide. So our range should also be very wide here. Um, and we should expect our opponent to have many hands worse than like a nine uh, and many, many hands worse than like ace nine. So if we got, I actually think 
with the range that our opponent or the hero is describing, you have to realize that your opponent has like no incentive to bet. Now your opponent might make a mistake and bet anyway, but if what everyone thinks you have is like sets and like combo draws, like combo nut flush draws, then your opponent like should not be betting like a nine. So if that's the range you're showing up with here, then I think definitely just go ahead and shove. But really, I think I, we, I, I was thinking about this. I I don't hate like like this is definitely exploitative, but I don't hate like going like forty percent paw like and then all in on the river, just because of the way I think I think this villain might just like approach it as two separate choices and. Um, like each time he's getting such a good price that he might call then calling the entire pot size bet on the turn. So um, it's definitely goofy and exploitative, but that's something I would consider here. Yeah. So the, the reason to check range here is that when we are up again, when we have like a lot of nine X that like raises for protection, and get called by like a normal opening range and a normal C betting range here, we're up against a lot of overpairs. And now our 9x definitely doesn't want to bet. So I think if that's like how you're conceiving this spot, like I have a lot of 9x, my opponent is not very overpair, sort of like two pair dense. And therefore my whole range wants to check just because my, the only ways my 9x can continue in this pot is by trying to induce bluffs. Then I could see that as like a reason to check everything. I think though... I actually, I think the way, easiest way just to get paid here is just to shove. Like, we have an undisciplined opponent who I think is really going to fold nut spades, really going to fold a nine, really going to fold over pairs. We have a lot of clear bluffs. Not that we would necessarily be bluffing them in this way, but it's very easy for our opponent just to imagine that we have spades or something. Our opponent has just declared that he thinks that he we might be out for revenge, which maybe shifts us towards bluffs in his mind. So I think we're getting a little bit. A little bit fancy here, not just shoving. And I don't think, I think if really what we're trying to do is like be weak and show weakness, then we shouldn't be check shoving. If anything, we should just be check calling and then trying to either get our opponent to go for thin value on the river or just leading ourselves. Um, sort of like a desperation bluff attempt, which some people definitely do. Yeah, I, I think that shoving is probably the way to go here just just based on the opponent i mean we're i mean we're in a good situation right this opponent's going to make a lot of mistakes either way we've we're even told that he's sticky but he also likes to pounce on signs of weakness the check raise definitely does look super strong like even this opponent folded top pair top kicker to the check raise so um yeah i think that just leading with a shove might look might look weaker. These hands are they're tough to talk about because we're talking about most likely small EV differences. We have a great hand that is just really happy to get the money in any which way. There are no terrible runouts other than a nine. So we're nitpicking. There's a lot of different ways you can think about this spot. You can think about it as if you're raising a more polarized range on the flop. You can think about it as if you're raising a more merged range on the flop. Those might lead you to different courses of action here on the turn, particularly depending on the type of your opponent you're facing. 
But I think the main thing to take away here is that we're up against an opponent who's too loose, who thinks we're messing with him. And we unblock a lot of the calls. And we also expect that a lot of draws will probably call us. So my main advice is don't overcomplicate things. Just go ahead and put in the money, which I think obviously should have been the plan on most runouts when we check raise the sizing anyway. I think the check raise was a very good sizing and it sets up this nice sort of 0.9 turn shift. Yeah. And um, I want to compliment the the writer, the hero, about how he's thinking very carefully about who his opponents are. And it looks like he's trying to take advantage of some of the mistakes that they're making with hands. So, um, yeah, I think he's showing a lot of like really good thoughts about um, how to make the most money. Yeah, and Hero has only, he wrote in that he's only been playing for about five or six months. It's coming from a Magic the Gathering background. Sounds familiar. Anyways, yeah, you're, you're doing very well. You're, you're, you've made exceptional progress for having only played five or six months. So keep it up. Crush these one, two games at the Oaks. Uh, I'm sure you're doing very well. And thanks for writing in. Stay in touch. James, pleasure to have you on as always. And we'll get you back soon. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you next time.